The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Good morning, church. So today we're going to be continuing in the parenting series. Uh, As most of you are aware, that's based on a book that's called Parenting 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. As you've probably seen in the book or you've figured out through the sermons, each chapter has a one-word title. Actually, one of them has two words. But those are the 14 gospel principles. And each sermon covers two chapters, therefore two words, and today's no different. So today's sermon will be brought to you by the words authority and control. But before we get there, let's uh, join together in prayer to our holy God. Heavenly Father, we join to you and praise you and proclaim that you are God. Lord, you are the creator of the universe and everything in it. You know all things, nothing surprises you, and there's nothing that's impossible for you. There's no one or no one above you, and Lord, we unite as believers to humbly ask that you would reign over this worship service. We pray that while you have used us to plan and prepare and serve during this time of corporate worship, that Lord, we pray that the message would be divinely delivered to those who believe in your son, Jesus. And for those who are not followers of Jesus, Lord, we pray that you would help them to understand more and more about you and what a loving, gracious, and merciful God you are. Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for your word. We pray that you would speak to each of us and and use this message to continue to mold us to be more and more like Jesus. That you would continue to point out those areas that we, we often hide from you, Lord. The areas where we think we know best or maybe the areas of shame. Lord, we pray that you would point out our sin. And Lord, we, we ask that you would graciously help us to accept these things and what you teach us today and always, that you may give us the ability and the courage to apply what you teach, to follow you and live a life that, while imperfect, points towards your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would use our weaknesses to show your strength. Lord, we reach out to you and and ask that you would protect the families of the church, that you'd protect us from evil, you'd protect us from our own selves, Lord, from our own self-inflicted problems. Protect us from each other, Lord, from, from the anger and disconnect between husbands and wives and fathers and sons and sons and mothers and mothers and daughters and daughters and fathers. 
Lord, protect our family so that we may not be destroyed by us or anyone else. May your families be a light in the world that is an example of the love of Jesus. Protect our families, Lord, not simply to satisfy our need to keep our families together, but protect our families so that you may use us to build your kingdom. May you dwell among us today, and may you be pleased with our worship. May you move among us and draw us closer to you, and may you speak to those who are unsure of you, so that they may experience the amazing love you give. Lord, we praise your holy name, your mighty name, and we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so I have to admit that when I see books like this, books that offer good change in the life of a Christian based on biblical principles, I think it should have a a warning sticker on it. It should come with some type of disclaimer in the... The warning should say... Don't read this book if you don't want to apply the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ to your life. That's common sense to most people, but we have biblical knowledge that we don't apply to our own lives. And biblical knowledge not applied is worthless. And while I'm talking about the book, I want to make sure we're We're all on the same page. The book uses the word radical in the subtitle. The origin of the the word radical is a Latin word called radicalis. It means to be related to or of the root. A radical operation many, many years ago didn't mean some major transformation of the body. It described an operation that would remove the root of a disease. Today, the word radical, to most people, describes extreme change. It means turning everything upside down to make something better. It's wiping it all away and starting new. In this case, I think the word radical sets an unrealistic expectation. It's, it's not, it's not, we're not looking for a major change quickly. Parenting is rarely about radical change, about extreme change. I get it. Sometimes radical change is needed. But we're talking about parenting and While parenting can require a major change, I believe the Bible is clear that that we're to teach our children. Proverbs 22 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, in the passage there, it talks about the commandments that were given. It says, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk down the road, when you get up, when you lie down. Talk to them about them all the time. 
radical change in today's world is, is intended to make a swift change and the immediate improvement. Now, if I came in here with a haircut, not many people would notice, and those that you would wouldn't think it's radical. If I shaved my head and came in here, some of you would think it's kind of radical, but not everybody. But if I came in here with pink hair, every one of you would think it's radical because that's not me. That's changing the being of who I am. If you see me with pink hair, something's gone wrong. And so I understand sometimes that radical change is needed and, and kids going around the wrong path. But from my perspective, God's word is stating that parenting is about teaching. And teaching is about training our children. And we are training children for the long haul, not for tomorrow, but we're training for many, many years to come and for all the experiences they're going to face. So I'm using the word today, radical, meaning root. As the root of teaching children and the long-term training that establishes the core beliefs of a child's foundation in Jesus. It's somewhat like a tree. So the roots of a tree are what give it the nourishment and the water so it can grow and be healthy. And the root digs down into the earth. And so when a windstorm comes, it can withhold the windstorm. When it rains really hard, it can withstand that. When excessive heat comes, it can still live. That's what keeps the tree alive. And parenting is about establishing roots that prepare and strengthen and protect the child as they grow. It prepares a child for life, and yes, those difficult times in life also. So we're not aiming to fit our kids in a mold. The primary goal is not to raise a child to be a doctor. It's not a bad thing. The primary goal is not to raise a child to be the head of some Fortune 500 company or to be filthy rich. It's not a bad thing, but that's not our goal. Our goal is not to make our child whatever society thinks is successful or what, to be honest with you, what we think is successful. Children are not the trophy of our lives. That's a worldly approach to parenting. We're looking for a godly approach to parenting. We as Christians are aiming for our children to follow Jesus. We're looking for them to live a life that's honoring to God. And that they would have an influence on the world because they're living a life that points directly to Jesus. That's where it all starts the roots, and the foundation. And the roots are developed by many, many people. It's true that parents are typically the largest contributor to the root structure of a child, but they're not always the only ones. There's older brothers and sisters that have an influence. There's aunts and uncles, grandparents. There's good friends of the family that have an influence on how children develop. And so if you're here today and you don't have children, God can still teach you and use you to bring his precious little ones along 
And so let's talk about authority. I don't believe that our world likes authority. In general, we don't like authority. We're told, if you watch TV or listen to music and hear commercials, we should have a luxury car. We should have the next cell phone. Because we deserve it. Anything we desire, you've earned it. You should have it. For much of the world, they are, and the truth is we are, the masters of our own kingdom. It's our world that we live in. And each decision that is, is based on what we want, what we need, what we deserve. We have a tendency to lean towards what I would call self-rule. And self-rule is where we're the authority in our lives. It's me. The world in general doesn't like authority, and sometimes we don't like authority because we don't want someone to tell us no. We really don't want someone to tell us how to live our lives, how to spend our money. And in America, we complain about authority. We complain about the government. We complain about the people in charge at work. We complain about the coaches or players on our favorite sports teams. We complain about parking tickets and speeding tickets when we're clearly in the wrong and we broke the law. We don't like authority. The world questions people in authority in almost every aspect of life. And many times when they're complaining about it, they don't know enough about the issue to be complaining about it or even really talking about it. But the truth is that authority is in God's design. Genesis 1.1, the very first verse in the Bible, said, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God's the creator of earth. He created it, and there's no one above him. Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God is the authority of the world, and everything belongs to him. It doesn't take long to find out in the Bible that we don't like authority. As we continue in Genesis 1, God created man. And in verse 28, he said, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves along the ground. God gave man authority over part of his creation. In Genesis 2, God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden, this beautiful place. And he said, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. Now we know the story. As Genesis 3 continues on, the happy couple... Adam and Eve, what are they doing? They're eating from the tree that the authority in their life, God, said not to. We, all of us, are a sinful, rebellious people. And the first thing we need to know about children is they're just like us. They're a little cuter sometimes, but they're just like us. 
they will rebel. Just like Adam and Eve did. Just like you and I have. And truthfully, just like we still do. Parenting is unique. You know, usually, if you're putting in a place of authority, you have, you have earned the right to be an authority. You're an expert. You've been doing it for years and proven it. You've taken some type of class or you, you've graduated or whatever it is. There's something that gives you the ability to be an authority. But when, when we become a, an authority in a, parent to, a parental role over a baby's life, we don't know what we're doing. It's something most of us have no real experience in. Most of us, probably the overwhelming majority of us, have no formal education in raising children. Most of us don't know much about it other than what our parents have told us. And the truth is, when we're having kids, we're still pretty immature. We're unprepared as parents. And on the other hand, we're given this baby that can't speak our language or communicate with us very well. And it won't take long that that baby's going to fight you for control. That baby's going to want to tell you when or if you'll sleep, when you're going to eat, and what you'll be doing the rest of the day. Now, they don't know the rules of the house. They don't understand the rules of the house, and they really could care less about the rules of the house. And as spoken of, in many of the, the, the sermons that Pastor Brian and Brian have given, it's by the grace of God that we can be parents. Now, there are many things wrapped up in the word authority, and the Bible has many, uh, many descriptions of authority in it. And I've got pages and pages of notes that came down to this. So I couldn't talk about everything. Otherwise, we'd be having many, many sermons. So today we're going to focus on an example of authority. And the example of authority we're going to use is Jesus. Specifically, we're going to focus on some of Jesus' traits that can help us to exercise authority well. So we know that in Matthew 28 that Jesus came to the disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus said, therefore, I'm the authority. Probably didn't say it that way. Because I, Jesus, am the authority in heaven and earth. You go make disciples. Jesus walked this earth. He experienced people. He experienced betrayal. He experienced love. He's the best example of what our authority as parents should be, in my mind. And authority always has a purpose. Authority is typically put in a place to oversee people, to achieve a desired result. And godly authority is given because we're to serve God in a very specific way. In Acts 6, it talks about some Hellenistic Jews that were upset and they were complaining that the widows weren't being given their daily share of food. And so the disciples said, wow, that's important. We need to do something about that, but we're supposed to go out and preach the word. We're not going to stop doing that. So let's go get seven men that are known to be full of the Spirit and known to be full of wisdom, and let's let them take care of it. There was a need, 
the authority, the disciples said, this is what we're going to do, and they gave authority to seven men to take care of the, the, the widows. So authority has a need. You just don't put somebody in authority for any reason whatsoever. And we're given a parent, parental authority from God for a reason. We know that children are very important to God. Psalm 127 says God, children are a gift from God. There's passages and passages and passages that talk about Jesus and how he loves children and how he protects them and how he warns us not to mistreat them. And he is giving us authority over these children for these little ones because they're very, very important to him. And the goal is that Jesus is the root of everything we do and that we teach our children that Jesus is the root of everything they do. The Bible's got many, many examples of how Jesus lived life on this earth and examples of how he used his authority very well. We can't go through all of them, but we're going to pick a few of them and go through them. And the first one is submission. For authority to be effective, you need to have someone that's going to submit. Without people following the direction of authority, you have no authority. Jesus submitted to God. Even when it came to death on a cross, Jesus submitted. Now, he went, to, he went to God and he prayed to God before his crucifixion. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. He said, this is what I want, but God, I'm submitting to you. In John 6, Jesus told people that he didn't come from heaven to do his own will, but he came to do the will of him who sent him. Jesus knew who was his authority, and he submitted every time, always, every instance. Jesus submitted to God for us. He didn't come to earth for himself. He didn't leave heaven and come down here to have a vacation. He came here for us. And he came here to do the will of the Father. And so I think Jesus is our example of parents of how we need to submit. And I think what kind of example do we give our children about submission? Do we truly, truly submit to God in everything? Because I can't imagine if we can't submit to a perfect, loving, gracious, and merciful God, what kind of example can we be to our children when it comes to submission? Now, I don't think we learn much on our own. I don't think we just kind of go out and figure things out. I think we learn almost everything we do from watching people and hearing them. Now, certainly younger children learn from watching us, and you know, they begin to talk, they make sounds, but they're not audible words. But because they keep hearing the same sounds we say, they start to mimic those things, and they say the same sound that we do. And eventually they associate it with a ball or something. 
They learn to talk because they hear us talking. They learn to put a spoon to their mouth because we keep putting the spoon to their mouth. They imitate our actions, and we do the same. At some point, when they begin to understand the words, they can follow directions, but the truth is they never stop learning from watching. It's an amazing thing. It's a great thing. It's also extremely dangerous for a parent. Just as they can learn to watch us and figure out how to do something, they can learn that we don't do what we tell them to do. If a child were told that there's certain words that are offensive to God and they're a sin and you shouldn't use them, and the child walks in on Daddy using those words, a young child's just going to blurt it out. Aw, Daddy! You're in trouble. It's a cute exchange that people look at. But over time, a child continues to grow, and the child at some point is going to look at you and evaluate you because we evaluate everything. At some point, they will see you doing something that's not what you taught them. It can develop resentment. It can create a lack of trust. And it can ruin the authority that God has intended you to have. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect, because none of us are perfect. But you need to believe what you teach. You need to live a life that you expect your child to live, because you're the example. And if you say something and do something else, that's the example. If we teach them to submit to authority, but we don't, they're going to figure it out. They may never tell you that they figured it out, or you may hear it in the heat of an argument that you're a hypocrite, but they know. If we tell them not to talk about their teacher disrespectfully or, or something along those lines, and we constantly, constantly, constantly badmouth every authority figure in our lives, then... The truth is we shouldn't be surprised if they talk about us one day just like that. If, you're, if we are not a good example of submission, we're a terrible example of authority. Because we're supposed to model the Christian life. What the Christian life looks like and... The truth is, being a Christian starts with submission to God. Jesus knew people's hearts. In Luke 5, he, he had just told a paralyzed man that he was forgiven and he was about to heal him. The Pharisees were following him around and they were trying to catch him in a lie or catch him doing something wrong and they began to think to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, he knew their hearts. I know, I know, he's Jesus, you're not. But I'm suggesting that Jesus knew their hearts because he had been around them, they had been following him around. He knew, he paid attention to them. He knew what they were thinking. 
and we need to know what our child's children are thinking. We need to invest time and effort to understand the hearts of our children. We need to take time to listen because we don't learn while we're talking. Parenting requires a lot of listening. Because we can't figure people out. We don't have that set of skills to just look at someone and figure out everything about them. We're not capable of that. Our children are different than us. They figure things out. They process things different. They think different. And each child is different from the next. God creates each of us uniquely different. Listen, to know their fears, their passions, their, the things that they don't understand and they want to understand, the things that just baffle them and confuse them, we need to talk to them. We need to spend time talking to them and praying for our children and praying to God that he would give us the wisdom to lead and to understand them. We desperately need to understand our children's hearts. When storms come... We need to be calm and in control because when, when storms happen, when things happen that are kind of chaos has happened, you look to authority to try and help it. Whether it's a dad, whether it's a, a doctor in an emergency room, we look to authority. Hey, you're supposed to know what's going on. Help me. In the midst of the storm, Jesus was always calm and in control. In Mark 4, it talks about the disciples were in the boat and they were on the water and Jesus was asleep. Furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat and the disciples got a little scared. They said, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, calmed the waves, and they went about their business. Well, in the life of a child, there are many, many things that are overwhelming and scary and confusing. And as they grow, they're still going to be overwhelmed. They're still going to be scared. The reasons are different. The truth is, we can be overwhelmed at any age in our lives. Jesus, time and time again, was calm under pressure. When the disciples didn't know what to do, Jesus took control. Even when they could be a little disrespectful. When I read, teacher, don't you care if we drown? That's got a twinge of attitude towards it. But he still got up and took care of it. Our job as parents is to be calm in the storm because we know Jesus. We lean on the Bible and what it has taught us. We pray that God would teach our children how to handle the storms. Storms are just in a wonderful teaching moment, even if our kids are just watching. Unconditional love is what Jesus gave. In John 8, there's a story about a woman that was caught in adultery and the, the people brought her to the town square and they said, the Mosaic law says we got to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? He just took a few minutes, but when he stood up, he said, he that, was with, is, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone at her. Our children need to know that when the whole world 
is against them. They always know you're in their corner. No matter what they did, no matter how stupid you think it is, you need to make sure they're okay. You need to be that person that's left behind to help them. And I've always thought that it's a, it's a good thing to, as a parent to have a long memory because all of us have things on our resume that don't point to the smartest thing we've ever done in our lives. We've all been there. We need to be humble. And of all the people on the earth, God gave you this gift. They're going to rebel. God didn't give the gift to someone else to take care of it. He gave them to you. And before we need to start the lecture, we need to understand what's going on. Why are we in this situation? Now, Jesus loved her, protected her, and in the end he said, leave your life of sin. He corrected it because he knew her heart. Nobody knows what your child does. No matter how hard it is to understand, God calls us to love them. And they need to know that. But just like us, we wonder. We make bad decisions. We go down the wrong path in life. And Jesus still loves us. Jesus accepts us. In fact, he died on a cross knowing how sinful we are. We need to give that love to our children. They need to know that type of love, that unconditional love, and they need to be very secure in that. Forgiveness. In Luke 23, it describes Jesus being on a cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was on a cross, beaten, mocked, spat on by people that hated him, people who denied him, people that turned away from him, and he still asked for forgiveness for them. We can forgive our children. We need to forgive our children. It doesn't matter what, and it doesn't really matter when. There are children, and yes, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30-year-olds, they're still our children. They're still learning and maturing. We never stop being parents. But if we're unforgiving, that relationship will end. We need to exhibit forgiveness to our children so they can exhibit forgiveness to others. Jesus was an amazing teacher. The question that always that people say it, uh, to, for icebreakers is, if you could go any place in the world at any given time, where would you be? I would want to be in front of Jesus and he's doing the Sermon on the Mount. I would love to hear him preach. He spoke in terms that people could understand. He didn't try and talk over their heads. If he was talking to farmers, he used agricultural terms. If he was talking to the Pharisees, he talked about the law. He talked so people could understand. 
Matthew 7 talk, talks about how he taught with authority. Jesus knew the Word of God, and he didn't twist it. He didn't use it for his own good. He used the Word as it was intended. It was the truth. We need to strive to know the Bible so that we can teach our children. We need to be able to teach it with authority, and we can instruct our children about God and how to live a godly life. Now, Jesus didn't come to earth and start teaching to become teacher of the year. He invested in teaching people because he wanted them to know about eternal life. And so we're not teaching our children to become Christian of the year or parent of the year. We're teaching our children because they're a gift from God and God instructs us to do that and we're submitting to God by teaching our children about him. Jesus was also very encouraging. I think of Peter. and When Jesus came to him before... He was arrested and said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Nah, Jesus, mm -mm. I would die for you. Peter said, no way. And then he denied knowing Jesus three times. The rooster crowed, and he locked eyes with Jesus. Man, what a feeling. He knew what he had done. He knew how weak he was. He was distraught that he denied Jesus. The Bible says he whipped bitterly. Describes a scene of great despair in this man's life. And I wonder how we would act if that was our child. We know how Jesus acted. In John 21, it talks about how he acted. Jesus reacted by having a conversation with Peter. And he went to Peter and he said, do you love me? He asked him three times, the same number of times that Peter denied him. And he said, Peter, I'm going to use you in my kingdom. I want you to feed the lambs. I want you to teach the sheep. I want you to feed the sheep. As parents, we're to continue encouraging our children. Regardless of what they've done, have done, or will do, we are to point to the hope in the future and how God can use broken people to accomplish his will. We are to encourage them that there is still hope that God can do all things. The word control, as I see it, in this instance, is talking about preparation. It's talking about preparing a child with the root system and the structure to handle life. And so for me, I'm not looking for radical change that's going to change something right away. I'm looking for something that's going to be the root that they can go to that's going to nourish them and feed them for the rest of their lives. And I want that root to be Jesus. You probably heard the phrase that God isn't looking for a behavior modification. He's looking for soul transformation. Fairly poignant, says the point. He's not looking for someone to obey the law just because they like getting the star at school or because we take pride in keeping the law, that we take pride in good behavior. God's looking for people whose behavior has changed because the gospel and the Holy Spirit has transformed the soul into a new creature. 
That's what he's looking for, and that's the essence of parental authority and control. We aren't aiming to have a child go through life with the emotions of just doing it right, but they don't know why they're doing it. No math teacher wants a child to just memorize math equations. Because when the problem is changed from 9 times 9, and the student knows what the response is, 81, because they have memorized it, they don't even know the basics when they're standing in front of a Home Depot display trying to figure out how much square footage is in a 9 by 9 room. The same goes for parenting. We're not trying to raise children that while they're at home they do the things that keep them out of trouble or get them an allowance. We're not trying to get them to just pacify us, to keep peace in the house, or to stop them from saying, I can't take one more lecture from them. We've all probably said that, right? Or heard it. That child's going to leave that house and not have what it takes. He doesn't have the principles. It's based on human behavior. It's not the root that we're looking for. Parenting is teaching, not coercion. We're not trying to get them through a number of years or events until they leave the house and go out on their own and check that box. Parenting is teaching the biblical principles that are exhibited by Jesus. They need to understand the gospel by seeing it lived out each and every day right in front of them in your lives, in my life. Where they see godly authority is different than the worldly authority. Because godly authority is full of perfect love. Godly authority is compassion, not aggression. It's love, not manipulation. As I said, it's teaching, not coercion or begging or bribing. It's selfless, not selfish. It's protection instead of abuse. It's patience instead of anger. It's forgiveness instead of keeping score. We keep score of somebody we want to beat because we want to beat them. We shouldn't keep score with our children. It's encouragement, not condemnation. It's nurturing, not neglect. It's faithfulness to God, not unfaithfulness. It's gentleness, not harshness. It's kindness, not mean-spiritness. And it's self-control, not explosion. They need to see the joy and peace in our lives that comes from Jesus. We are to model Christ-like living, a Christ-like life, In 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Our children need to see humble parents who love the Lord. That They need to see that we're not living for ourselves, but we're living for Jesus. They need to see the struggle that we have when we apply God's word to our lives. They need to admit that we're wrong and repent of our sins. They need to see a life that's devoted to Jesus. 
And so the questions we have to ask ourselves are, am I a good example of complete submission to God? Are you, am I, a good example of Jesus-like authority? Do you know the heart of your children? Do your children know that no matter what they do, they'll always be loved? That they can't earn your love and they can't lose it? Do your children know that they are forgiven for anything and everything? And is your parenting rooted in the Bible and the teaching of Jesus? Or is it motivated by pride, selfishness, ego, or just a lack of interest? This can be a difficult message to listen to. It's a difficult message to prepare because it's right out in front of you. You see some good things that you did, but you also see the things you didn't do so well. For some, I would say probably for all of us, because none of us are perfect, we see far too often where we fell short. The truth is there's great hope. As Pastor Brian said, God designed marriage. God designed family. He's the creator and the authority of family. Nothing is impossible for God. He's capable of all things, and the Bible tells us that our hope starts by submitting to God. Understanding we don't have all the answers, and we are capable of making a mess out of anything, we need to pray to God to guide us, to understand where we are at this moment as parents, and that he would protect our families, and that he would give us the wisdom and ability and the strength to, to be the parents he wants us to be. There is hope. There truly is hope. Father, we trust that you spoke to many of us today, Lord. Whether it's how to parent, whether it's relationships with others or applying your word to our lives or even if you called someone to accept you. Lord, may we act on your message. May we act on the things you put on our heart and May the words that struck our hearts today be what we work on today, Lord. May we not hear words like this again and think, wow, I heard that before, I, I need to do something. Thank you, Lord, that imperfect parents can raise imperfect children and that your love covers a multitude of sins and that your love can save us from ourselves. Lord, thank you that we're able to know what unconditional love is. Thank you that you can experience, we can experience forgiveness from you and that you know our hearts. Thank you that you provided an amazing example in Jesus. And thank you, Lord, for loving us as only you can love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others. 
but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.